something about Premier League football in the snow. Winter is back and the English, I was about to say the English football show, that's a throwback. The EPL show is back on FNR Football Nation Radio. I'm Nick Hughes and together with Josh Parrish, we're going to dissect all of the, the wintry, snowy fun that we saw over the weekend in the Premier League. Uh, and we're we're diving straight back in. Two more games this morning, more games tomorrow, more games on the weekend. It's December, and December means in the Premier League, games, games, and some more games. Josh, how excited are we? Well, the weather outside is frightful, but uh, Premier League football is indeed delightful. Except at Turf Moor, where they don't yes. play it, because <laughs> uh, a little bit of snow got in Antonio Conte's hair, and he didn't like it. <laughs> Whatever, that was the official reason. Whatever, uh, whatever hair was left on uh, on Antonio Conte's head, just uh, just asked. Was it Luka Modric that um, that had the nice um, the touchline moment? I think when they were playing against Inter Milan, I can't quite remember. It was it was someone that made fun of his hair, and he, he didn't quite uh, appreciate it. But yes, Burnley. Uh, you rather think Burnley would be one of the teams that would sort of sn- suit snowy football, their, their yeah. direct style. They... I think they must be livid that it got cancelled. Absolutely. I, I reckon uh, I reckon Sean Dyche, as per the David Squires cartoon, was ready to go out there and do shirtless snow angels. <laughs> For sure. Well, he was, he was asked because he, uh, he was wearing a long sleeve and he said, um, he said he was gutted that he got caught out in long sleeves in the snow and I'll have to make sure he's wearing a short sleeve uh, <laughs> next time. I mean, come on. Like, they're caricatures of themselves at this point, Burnley, right? Oh, it's it's a laugh. It, it really this, is a this laugh. This macho crap that they continue to peddle. <laughs> Apparently, the one of the punish like instead of doing fines, I don't know if they still do this, but they had a wheel of punishments, much like Ed and Athos used to spin the prize <laughs> wheel on the breakfast show, and one of them was that you get thrown in the lake, oh, like in the river. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like the most Sean Dyche thing. I've ever heard. Maybe, um, maybe there was a time when Jim Courier was on as a con- uh, as a consultant, and he um, and he lobbied for a for some river exploits. <laughs> That's uh, a niche reference. <laughs> Love it, but uh, I mean Burnley, they uh, they didn't have their snow fun. They're not having much fun uh, in any kind of weather mm. at the moment. They're still uh, rooted to second bottom uh, in the Premier League. I thought you were just going to say they're still rooted. Well, they they are, but <laughs> um, with just one win. Uh, nine points. Uh, I mean, fortunate that even though they didn't have a chance to play, that Newcastle still haven't won a game uh, and have remained bottom. And, of course, Newcastle have played twice since we last uh, spoke. And we might kick off with a little bit of Newcastle because Eddie Howe uh, has arrived. He's taken his first uh, couple of games on the touchline, I think. Uh, and he was asked about, uh, I think, whether it was leading up to the weekend or leading up to the Norwich game, I'm not entirely sure, but he was asked about, uh, you know, the whole takeover and the spending because we are, of course, a month out of the January window. There's lots of talk that uh, that Newcastle are going to go big uh, in in the window. Uh, Eddie Howe sort of played it down, but it would, uh, it would appear that they're going to need uh, some spending because 14 games in, we're very, very close to that halfway point uh, and they have not won a single game. Yeah, they're looking in danger. I mean, if they get relegated, will they have trouble attracting players? Probably not because will, they'll just spend more money. Will they have trouble attracting players even now with the fear of being relegated? I think is a, is an interesting question as well. Yeah, I mean, certainly they're going to look to spend big in January to keep them up. But we spoke uh, 
was it last week or the week before about Eddie Howe's experience with big transfer budgets and yeah. uh, not always a, a welcome outcome on that front. Yeah, I wonder who is who is Dom Solanke and is Jordan Iber are going going to be uh, this time around. But yeah, it's it's interesting for the Magpies. I think look, Eddie Howe still has obviously plenty of time to to mm-hmm. come in and. And sort of implement his style, but uh, I mean, a, a one-all draw with uh, Norwich this morning, uh, a red card as well to Kieran Clark. Uh, they they did take the lead with a Callum Wilson penalty, but Timo Puki uh, made it four unbeaten for Norwich City. That's amazing. I and mean, Dean Smith still has his job after all <laughs> of this success. <laughs> Maybe their strategy has changed since yeah. the sacking of Daniel Farker. Well, I mean, Norwich, I think, would do a rebound to some sort of form. I think they've been slightly unlucky with a few of their results or hasn't quite reflected the way they've played. And now I think this is just regression to the mean. I don't think it's really anything that's, uh, that the new manager has done in particular. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the form still started. This trend started before he came in. So I, I don't I don't really read too much into it. I still think they're going to get relegated. It was more uh, a missed opportunity for Newcastle United, I thought. Yeah, I, th- I think for sure. I think they'll, at home, taking the lead, uh, they'll be kicking themselves. And, and, you know, they would have been looking at that game thinking here is an opportunity to get that first win uh, and then to move on. But uh, alas, it wasn't It wasn't to be for the Magpies. Interesting with uh, with Norwich as well. They, uh, they're actually, according to the understat uh, expected points table, they are actually exactly uh, where they are supposed to be in 18th. In fact, the whole bottom three uh, is exactly in the correct order according to the expected points. Newcastle uh, expected 10.65 points but have only uh, accrued seven so far. Burnley, second bottom, uh, and Norwich, third bottom, although um, Aston Villa, a fourth bottom in the expected points table, and we're seeing Steven Gerrard uh, having some good early success there. Well, uh, as Thanos might say, perfectly balanced as all things, <laughs> all should, things be. should be. <laughs> I love it. Uh, but we'll move on. The The headline fixture was uh, obviously Chelsea versus Manchester United. And the headline coming out of that game happened before the game had even started. Uh, Michael Carrick or Ralph Ranick, it depends who you ask, uh, deciding to bench Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, I think you got a few, few thoughts on some uh, opinions that were... We're going around about who was selecting the team and what was at play there. Uh, well, I mean, Gary Neville on Twitter alleging that Ralph Ranick must have picked this side because Ronaldo had been dropped and it was different to how Michael Carrick set up against Villarreal. I don't think it's a huge brainwave uh, to see that you might play differently and have a slightly different formation and selection against Villarreal than you would against Chelsea, who mm. are all conquering at the moment. And... You know, the fury over dropping Ronaldo, I just find incredible. I mean, he doesn't have a kick in these games against the big teams. He hasn't had a kick. You know, the only kick he's had against the big teams is when he kicked Curtis Curtis Jones. Jones. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He had one shot against Manchester City, Australia the keeper, and then had no further impact on the fixture. So I don't think it's such an incredible uh, oversight to to leave Ronaldo on the touchline. I don't think it's a, a bad idea at all. And... You know, this was complete dross in the first half. Mm. United just didn't want to lose. 
set up quite defensively. Chelsea weren't risking too much either, and they cancelled each other out, and it was a horrendous game. The second 45, it opened up just a little bit, and Jaden Sancho capitalising on a Jorginho mistake, uh, Ballon d'Or contender, Jorginho, yes. losing the ball in the spotlight, and uh, Jaden Sancho making it two goals in two games since Solskjaer departed. Mm. Uh, but, look, I, I didn't think uh, much of this. I don't think Rainick was picking the team. I just think Michael Carrick was looking to get a point, and that's what he got. Penalty or no penalty? Look, you see him given, um, but um, I, I, I don't really have a huge uh, opinion one way or the other. Mm. What did you think? I thought it was a penalty. I think, I mean, I, I probably would have understood if it wasn't given because it's not, to me, people are still looking for penalties to be objective, black and white, yes or no. And, you know, there's there's going to be different interpretations. And, I mean, certainly in the Premier League compared to everywhere else, they're trying to have a different interpretation in that, you know, there needs to be more contact in the box to constitute a penalty uh, compared to to fouls anywhere else on the pitch, really. But I didn't think it was enough to overturn anyway. No, yeah, for sure. And I think that's that's probably a, a bit of that grey area with VAR that, you know, if it's given on the pitch, it's not overturned. If it's... Um, if it wasn't given, perhaps it may not have been um, given then by by VAR afterwards. But uh, I mean, if Jor- this is an appeal in cricket. It's yeah. the umpire's call. Umpire's call. Yeah, yeah. that's that's what I'd go with. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, ag- agreed. And uh, Jorginho tucking it away after he's uh, he's missed a couple of mm. late, um, notably for Italy. Missed in the Euro final. Missed in the the key qualifier. And I'm pretty sure he missed one for Chelsea relatively recently as well. But he keeps taking them, and uh, he delivered on this occasion to atone for for what was a, a dreadful area error uh, earlier in the game. Uh, I wanted to ask you about uh, Ralph Ranić as well. I know he's got a a very big reputation, certainly in Germany, and certainly from a lot of coaches that have come out of Germany, uh, Jurgen Klopp and Thomas Tuchel in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, during the week, both asked about it. And certainly when uh, Ranić was initially first rumoured, uh, a lot of old quotes being dug up uh, from the two of them talking about uh, Ranić's influence, uh, how much they taught uh, taught them about uh, the game, how much of their coaching style they took uh, from Ralph Ranić. I think Klopp in particular mentioned uh, one time when he was battered uh, by Ranić's Hoffenheim side, I believe, when he was still at Mainz. Um, and he sort of talks about that as a bit of a turning point for his own coaching philosophy. But the thing that I find interesting is Rani clearly a, a brilliant football mind, uh, and you look at the work that he's done with the Red Bull group and all of the players that have come out of Salzburg and the the meteoric rise that Leipzig have have had through the uh, the German divisions. You know whether people like it or not, it's it, it's been remarkable from a, a pure football point of view what they've done on the pitch with the. Uh, getting promoted and, and reaching the Champions League, etc. But he hasn't coached for three years, I believe. Mm. And even between 2018 and about 2011 or so, I don't, can't quite remember the exact years, he hasn't coached much at all. He's very uh, predominantly been in technical director, yep. director of football, whatever sort of roles. And now secured himself a lucrative consultancy gig yeah. going forward, which is the dream of any manager, of course. <laughs> exactly. Uh, to be paid for doing I don't know what. Yeah. So I, I wanted to ask you about that because, yeah, it's it, it's a difficult one. I think personally mm. not having, uh, you know, followed German football heaps uh, and particularly when he was 
um, having a, a large influence on German football. He's always been a name that's sort of been linked with uh, with big jobs uh, when they become available. Clubs have looked at him before. He's back in the game now, but one, his few years out of the game, and two, his many years out of actual proper coaching. How do you see that turning out? Well, it's funny that he's been credited for United's improved defensive showing or blamed for leaving out Ronaldo, depending on who you talk to, <laughs> um, when he hasn't even taken a training session yet. Yeah. I just find that amazing. I mean, I didn't think United were that much better in this game. Yes, it was a dour first half, but they, when Chelsea had three or four chances to win the game. It was Timo Werner, mm. the main reason why Chelsea didn't win this. And if Ole Gunnar Solskjaer had still been in charge... I think this performance would have been viewed a lot differently. I think it would have been the latest in a, a string of unimpressive resu- you know, performances and lucky to get a result. And now that it's Carrick in the dugout and Ranić coming in, it's uh, the sci- uh, new, signs of new things, uh, green shoots, uh, improved defensive performances. I'm watching a bit of you know match of the day and a bit of the sky coverage, and I, I just couldn't believe it. Some of the <laughs> opinions that were coming out, they were so narrative-driven and so removed from what was actually happening on the pitch. Ranić, on the other hand, will be a great coach for Manchester United. Mm. I think it's a no-brainer to bring him in. He's not going to have a second thought about dropping Ronaldo if he needs to. Mm. Yes, at Schalke, he had Raul, another former Real Madrid legend who was approaching the end of his career, and they did develop a good working relationship, even though Raul wasn't able to run as much. Uh, but Ranić's football is all about counter-pressing yeah. and... Uh, you, you lose the ball, you win it back within five seconds, and then you attack as quickly and directly as possible, uh, usually in that sort of tight four four two shape. If you look at what Carrick did on the weekend, it was straight out of the Solskjaer playbook, the diamond with the split strikers, uh, counter-attacking, sitting quite deep. Ranić's team are not going to sit that deep. Ranić's team are going to be 30 yards higher up the park when they're defending, and it's going to look a lot different, and there's going to be no space for certain players in the in the United eleven. So I think how Ranić deals with Ronaldo is going to be obviously the main talking point, but just having an idea of play and a clear system, uh, I think mm. is going to make a huge difference. I don't know if he's going to be a difference maker from day one, but I still think it's a good uh, appointment. Um, whether it works with the current group of players or whether he needs some time to actually rejig the squad, whether that's him or whichever successor that he's involved in appointing, because we assume it's, even though it's consultancy, it seems like a director of football under any other name. Mm. If he's able to put the plans in place and shape the team to fit his needs, it's much more in keeping with a modern style. Yeah, I agree. I think this could be uh, a a Klopp-esque sort of impact where similar to what Klopp had at Liverpool and I'm, not just saying that because they're both German and because they both have a similar style of play. But I think, yeah, coming in when United have, have lost a bit of direction, they've lost a bit of that identity. I think he's someone that, that is going to bring that back. Uh, I am very intrigued to see how he will transition into the job to see that dynamic with Ronaldo. Uh, and, and you mentioned a couple of the other players. He's not going to be afraid to drop or, or jig around or replace it, It'll be, um, you know, another thing to keep an eye on is the the January transfer window to see because obviously he's, he's not as the the manager for for too much longer after that. But in that consultancy role, you 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 think he would still have a fair hand in the recruitment. So we'll see if he uh, if he decides to replace any of the current squad or anything like that. But I 
wanted to bring up um, some quotes that immediately surfaced uh, about Luke Shaw. Um, now, Luke Shaw was terrific last season, had a great European Championships. He's been average probably at best so far this season. Uh, and I believe it was in September 2020, Ranik was uh, on TV somewhere in the UK, asked about where he would strengthen uh, Manchester United squad. Um, so keeping in mind, September 2020, this was before Shaw then went on and had a good, a good season, but he said they could do with a left back. I know they have Luke Shaw, but I'm not so sure, pun intended, uh, if he's still on the same kind of level you need for a club like Manchester United. They now have they have Alex Tellez now, who who hasn't played heaps because of Luke Shaw's good form. Whether or not that sort of spurred mm. Luke Shaw on to to take another step in his game, uh, but it'll be interesting what uh, what he does at left back. He's uh, very publicly uh, been a big fan of Jaden Sancho. Admitted uh, that he tried to get him to Leipzig and, and was quite close to getting him to Leipzig uh, until uh, he decided to go to Dortmund. Uh, again, he's someone that hasn't really flourished this season has got the two goals since Solskjaer left. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how he is used in that side as well. But he comes into a Manchester United team still in eighth place uh, on 18 points. Uh, and tomorrow morning, uh, they host Arsenal. He won't be there. Uh, but maybe maybe this time he might have picked the team, given that he's actually started in the role. Uh, but his first game will be on the weekend where they host uh, Crystal Palace. But they have to get through the Gunners first. Now, I've... This one is going to be an interesting game. I think maybe we'll we'll touch on some previews for tomorrow morning a little later. But I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how Arsenal set up in that one because we've had that chat last week about how Arsenal go in the yep. big games, how they were were trounced by Liverpool and often are uh, beaten well by uh, the bigger teams. Manchester United, you know, not quite at that level at the moment. Uh, you know, Arsenal will come into this game five points clear of the Red Devils, so it'll be a It'll be one to keep an eye on for sure. But we'll jump into a quick break. Yeah. Um, and something you something you said earlier, I think a, a Ballon, Ballon d'Or breakdown will be good because a couple of Premier League names are in there. Uh, I, I don't don't want to rant too much, but I think Mo Salah in seventh was uh, a little bit harsh. Uh, let's say that. So we'll come back. We'll chat Ballon d'Or. We'll chat winter, the, the good old winter break discussion that, that comes around every year uh, around this time. Uh, and we'll pick it up from there. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the EPL show on FNR Football Nation Radio. Uh, we'll jump straight in to uh, Ballon d'Or conversation it was uh announced uh overnight yesterday morning for us uh in australia Lionel messi again he wins his seventh uh, extends uh his own uh, personal record which he, he already held with six um plenty plenty going on in and around the announcement you know some uh, some quotes from the the france football ceo whatever he is and ronaldo not being too best pleased with uh, some allegations that that he was bringing lots of Premier League uh, players at five of the top ten, if you count Ronaldo, although he's not necessarily in there um, for his Premier League performances um, uh, as much as he was for the back half of last season while he was still at Juventus. But I think 
Jorginho was was probably a, a real shout to to win it, and I mean he, he comes third in the end, uh, mm. just in front of his teammate uh, N'Golo Kante, uh, Ronaldo sixth, Salah seventh, uh, and De Bruyne in eighth. So there was that third to eighth or whatever it was uh, contingent that was full of Premier League players. Um, I mean, I I can't believe Salah was seventh, honestly. Uh based on recent form. Uh, yeah, you'd think he would be higher than that. Uh, but I don't know when they actually voted. Mm, that's I, I saw a tweet that was um, the uh, there was a couple actually. Actually, was it even? Did you do it? I can't uh, remember. Did you say one about you don't understand why it's a? It was actually me. A, yeah. yeah. I don't. I yeah. What I was it saying in July was, to July thing. Yeah. Why are we basing it on a calendar year? Yes. And I was hit with, well, football's played all around the world. Well, when's the last time a player playing outside of <laughs> Europe won the Ballon d'Or? Exactly. N- never is the answer. And yes, they did some retrospective in you know, 2005. France football went and said, oh, if we'd been counting South America in the, the 50s and 60s, who would have got it? And they went, Pele, Pele, Garincha, Pele. Uh, <laughs> that doesn't count in my book. Never been won by a player playing club football outside of Europe. Obviously, plenty of South Americans and so forth have, yeah. have won it. Uh, but they've always been playing club football on the continent. So uh, it also lines up with uh, international tournaments. Surely as a crowning achievement to the international tournament, you should have the World Cup or the Euros or whatever, what have you, the Copper America. And then the next month, a few weeks afterwards, you compile all the voting and then it's awarded. And then it's part of that cycle of the season and mm. the off season. So it should be in July. Uh, I, I, I find it very confusing. Obviously that's... Different with the next World Cup, but that's a whole other story. Um, yeah, we're not going to go there. <laughs> look, the the award hasn't been won by a Premier League player since, what, 2008? Ronaldo. It would have been Ronaldo would have been, at yeah. United would be the last one, and it rarely is, but a uh, huge representation from uh, the English clubs in the top 10. So you can see the, the quality of player that, that is in that league. Uh, I don't really put that much stock in the Ballon d'Or. I think it's a bit of a yeah. popularity contest. I find it hard to think back on a calendar year basis and think about who deserved it. Uh, I thought Jorginho being in the conversation was slightly laughable. I know he won a lot of things, but, you know, is he as good as Mo Salah? You know, on the playground, you take Mo Salah first every time, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's that's always been a thing with but the Ballon d'Or. And I think even with a lot of uh, individual awards in in all sport as well, and, and I think particularly in... Uh, in the NBA as well, a lot of the like the goat conversation when you stack up your top ten or your top twenty five or top fifty is you know have they won a championship or you know have they yeah help, help their team to win things which you know I, I get to a certain extent um, but it is an individual award uh, at the end of the day and you know if if someone scored a hundred goals in a league season and they didn't win anything you know they they'd win it. At the end of the day, just because Jorginho won the cha- the Champions League and the Euros, and yes, he was influential in uh, in both tournaments, and, and particularly in the Euros, he was very good. I don't I don't want Nick Dubano to get on my case on on that one, but yeah, to I don't know, and, and it seems the way that the voting goes, the way that it is a ca- a calendar year thing, which it's funny. I'd, I'd never actually considered that I, when I saw your tweet. I thought, damn, I've never thought about that, and that's. I find it a weird interlude in December to suddenly be awarding the Ballon d'Or. And it's always recency bias thinking so-and-so, you know, deserved it. 
I know Lewandowski is getting a lot of shouts this time because he scored 54 goals yeah, or whatever yeah. it was. Um, whereas Messi has not been doing much lately in, in league. I has had a slow start to life with, with PSG. A couple of Champions League uh, performances to remember, I suppose, especially yeah. that, that home tie against Man City. City. Line, but, yeah. you know, uh, I, I find it a little bit um, difficult to separate individual achievements from collective ones. And also, I was very surprised to learn from Daniel Garb's article, who's this Australia's media voter in the award, is that you're supposed to, as one of the three criteria, take the player's career into account and not just the year. Oh, uh-huh, serious? So I, never knew I guess Lionel Messi wins hands wins down every year. every year then. <laughs> if that's, you know, if it's tough to split him and Lewandowski, he's getting over the top every time, which I don't think is fair to Lewandowski. That's outrageous. And it's that's ridiculous. I mean, oh, my Lord. <laughs> I, I don't know why. It just should be individual performance, yeah. team performance. I know, and, and I guess sportsmanship comes into it as well, which is, you know, for all these awards, that's yeah. usually a category. Yeah, for sure. The the good old best and fairest uh, as as it goes. But, I mean, you know, even a, a, a league um, a league awards, like the Premier League Player of the Year is a seasonal thing. Mm. So the World Player of the Year surely makes sense for it to be seasonal I, as well. I can understand with the FIFA Best Award, now that it's separate again, they came together briefly and then they separated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a sort of troubled relationship there. Um I can understand if the FIFA Best Award was awarded on a calendar year basis for the purposes of inclusivity because so many Asian leagues and South American leagues and so forth play uh, over different schedules to Europe. But the Ballon d'Or is awarded by France Football Magazine. So why are we giving it out in December? I do not know. (laughs) Maybe it's just the festive time. It's time for gift giving and Lionel Messi (laughs) have another gold trophy to go with your sparkly jacket. Yeah, exactly. And uh, they they made him some nice golden uh, goats and put him in the the field in front of uh, Eiffel Tower, which was... uh, Before we move on from this, it does annoy me that football media, especially kind of more clickbaity outlets like Goal.com, for example, are trying to cover football like... We cover basketball in this uh, goat conversation all mm. the time. Individuals over clubs, players being fan, uh, people being fans of players rather than uh, the teams. Mm. I I don't think that fits with how football is played or football supporter culture over the last you know hundred years. It doesn't it doesn't really make sense to me to uh, try and judge the game in that manner. Uh, on a basketball court, there's five players and the star players rule. Yeah, the NBA is run by star players. You know, you have to have two or three max guys on your team, and and so forth. This is not the way football works. It's football is a weakest link game. It's you know you're only as good as a lot of the time as your eleventh best player. So I don't think uh, putting the individual above all else in the way we talk about football helps mm. uh, us understand the game at all. Yeah, I, th- I think it's a that's a great point and. <laughs> This this goat debate, I guess, is is going to go for for a long, long time, and it's it's not something that we'll get into. But I mean, seven Ballon d'Ors, whether or not all seven of them are, are necessarily deserved. Uh, Wesley Schneider robbed in twenty ten. Yeah, and um, Frank Ribery in twenty thirteen was um, was a fair shout as well. And uh, yeah, oh, well, what can you do? We'll uh, we'll move on, and uh, hopefully next year, uh, Salah can. Uh, can get bumped up because I, I do wonder, like you said, I wonder when that voting uh, 
uh, period sort of starts and ends because is is all Salah's achievements in the season to date and his ridiculous wonder goals and so forth yeah. against Manchester City is that null and void for yeah. the next season or will we think back and remember oh this Premier League season Mo Salah was great so next December yeah we give it to him it's, it's, it's bizarre it's, it's part of the yeah the the calendar year thing and it doesn't quite I mean I'm sure the the people who who are voting are probably told when to consider uh, what time periods to consider but. We'll move on from that. Um, as I sorry, before we do, I just yeah. had a thought. Next year, World Cup in December. Mm. Are they giving it before or after the World Cup? I guess it must be before. Ooh, yeah, it and probably will be. <laughs> or will if it was. When does the World Cup start next year? It'd be going right now. Yeah, I don't think they'd have the ceremony in the middle of the World Cup. They'd probably shift. They'd have to move it forward. Most likely. Well, that's France football's problem, I suppose, <laughs> not ours. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but we'll move on. Uh, when I introduced the show, I mentioned the um, the snow. I It's funny, the, every, every time uh, or every year when we get to this time of year, um, good to get my words out there, when we're getting warmer here in Australia, the, those early morning kickoffs are at a more respectable time. They become 7 o'clock instead of 5 o'clock. Um, that winter weather always just seems to come extremely quickly in England. And when I woke up and, and watched a few of the games and the mini matches and highlights and whatever from the weekend and I saw the snow, I, just, I rubbed my hands together and I thought, oh, yeah, we're back. I love I love Premier League football in the snow. It just – there's something about it. It just hits differently. Uh, Would you uh, be rocking the snood in the gloves? Oh, Absolutely. I am a sucker for a snood. <laughs> the snood, if if we were a a, a clothing article uh, ranking show, snood is right, is right up there. <laughs> clothing Nation Radio, yep. snood number one. Oh, we were getting into the fashion with uh, Lockie Wales yep. in the green room, but that's another story. Uh, I wonder if he's a snood wearer. I'll have to ask him when I, uh, when I next I don't think him. it ever gets cold enough during the Aussie no, summer season to justify I, that. I think you'd probably get a fine if you turned up as training <laughs> in a snood. Very true. Well, uh, at training, uh, training yesterday, Neil Kilkenny was uh, wearing a jumper the entire time, um, and it was black, so I'm not sure... Not entirely sure how he was going on there, but anyway, away <laughs> from Western United uh, and and snoods, um, the the winter break conversation. Don't want to delve too much into it because it uh, you know it's probably all been said. But wanted to to talk a little bit about in particular uh, some of the things that Pep Guardiola has been saying in the media. Uh, he's basically labelled the situation at Man City at the moment an emergency uh, because they have. Uh, a number of key outs uh, and when we're getting into this part of the season now where yellow cards are starting to tally up, so there's going to be suspensions. Uh, teams are coming into this period with injuries. They're going to come out of this period with injuries because of how busy it is as well. I wonder if this is uh, just a bit of classic pep uh, mind games or... I think it's excuses and misdirection. I mean, the world's yep. tiniest violin I'm playing here for Pep Guardiola and his multi-billion dollar squad. Exactly. Most depth in the competition, world-class youth academy to blood pl- blood players from if need be. I mean, this club, regardless of their injury quote-unquote crisis, is more equipped to handle this period of the season than any other. Yeah. And that's why... They've won so many Premier League titles. Exactly. And for all of the the absentees that he had, uh, his bench still consisted of, and granted most of these are defensive-minded players, but 
again, with a starting 11 as as good as his. You know, he still had Mares, Sterling, Jesus, Gundogan, Rodri, Bernardo Silva, who's arguably been the player of the year, uh, Cancelo, who we were waxing lyrical of uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, Diaz and Laporte, Walker and Edison. That is still obviously a phenomenal starting 11, but he still has on the bench Stones, Ake, Zinchenko, Fernandinho, who comes on and scores, uh, and Cole Palmer, who, who who we were mentioning. They're five players that can not only can come in and start, but can start and do a very good job for Manchester City as well. Uh, and you know, the, they did have to name one less player on the bench. They had to name two goalkeepers. You know, Scott Carson gets a look in, which uh, I can always appreciate. But yeah, to me, it feels like a and and Pep Pep does it a lot. I mean. Disclaimer, I, I'm not a fan of Pep Guardiola. I think he's a very average human being. Um, and and I think it's what he does quite often in the media. I think he's that sort of disingenuous sort of – or disingenuous, I don't know how to say that word. I don't know if he's I said that He's not right. a genius either. I think you just <laughs> accused him of – Yeah. Um, but, like, things like when he when they played Wickham in the Cup and he goes, oh, Adebayo Akinfenu, a legendary striker, and just praises people just to – Make himself seem he comes like across a nice as insincere guy. a lot of the yes. time, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah, yeah, I think that's probably I'm the word. So I was happy, for. you know, <laughs> more, more than you believe. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it brings that conversation up a lot. And as a, as I a, think that the general point is true that it's insanity yeah. to play so many games yeah. over the coldest period in the year where more players are likely to get muscle injuries. Yeah, and, and um, while everybody else takes a break, English football takes a dive. For sure, and and COVID is is probably going to play a part as well. Like, but just specifically of... Manchester City, I do not feel sorry for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very true. Um, speaking of Man City, one of the players that has been unavailable is Kevin De Bruyne. He has mm. had COVID, although I think he contracted it with the national team, so not necessarily a an England related thing. But you know th- that could be something that starts to become a factor because we've seen really. Uh, we've experienced it here firsthand through our winter months that it's it's sort of when it thrives and there's new variants and whatever. We're, we're not turning into – we've been clothing Nation Radio. We're not turning into epidemiology Nation Radio. <laughs> but um, it's it, it could be a, uh, another thing that, um, you know, in the, in the modern day uh, has an impact in this um, in this period. It is, it is really quite odd uh, that – Literally every other major European league, I think at different times they have their breaks. Uh, and some of them, I think La Liga only really takes mm-hmm. one week off, whereas Bundesliga is practically a, a whole month. Um, and as a Liverpool fan, you know, uh, Jurgen Klopp likes to complain a fair bit in the media himself as well. Uh, and, and Especially when they go for their warm weather training <laughs> camp and he sends the kids out in the FA Cup. Yeah, exactly. Or um, you know, when matches are clashing. I guess he's not complaining because he's he was, not even there. <laughs> no, ex- exactly. It's it's not his problem. But we'll uh, we'll have to uh, wait and see what happens because you know this uh, often is the period the the make or break period of the season where um, clubs are um, are staking their claim for title challenges, for top four challenges, for the European spots, and for for staying in the league as well and. If you know if your best players aren't available, then the those those little battles become uh, slightly more difficult. Uh, we'll take another quick break, uh, and on the other side, let's just run through uh, the rest of the midweek games and, and the I weekend. have a little bit of Everton chat for I, you. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I know you've got a surprise for me. I'm looking forward to hearing it on the other side of the break. 
Well, it's the big one tomorrow morning. It's the Merseyside Derby, the first one of the season. It always seems to happen in this Christmas period. And uh, Josh, Richard Keyes has been having his say, and you've, you've got something for me. Yes, this, uh, this blog, the Richard Keyes blog, uh, blogging away from Qatar, always uh, good for a few snide remarks. And this, this particular entry is entitled Agent Rafa. <laughs> of course, no one is really suggesting that Rafa Benitez is running Heverton, as he's written, H apostrophe Everton, which I think is just mocking Rafa's accent, uh. I assume is the joke there, <laughs> Heverton, uh, into the ground on purpose. But this is the blog I knew I'd be writing sooner or later. And it certainly isn't a self-congratulatory I told you so, says Richard Keyes. <laughs> I'm sure oh, it isn't. Dear. Benitez never, should never have been given the Heverton job. Wrong man, wrong club. It was always going to end in tears. What I wrote when he was appointed didn't go down well with everybody. I get that. Benitez has got a small army of friends in the press and the old former player who he's managed to con for years and then quickly got to work to support the appointment, rubbishing me and others of the same view. I didn't mind because I knew time would be his greatest enemy. I also understood that Evertonians would swallow their guff. Oh, great turn of phrase there. And get behind <laughs> Benitez because whatever else, we all want to see our team do well. And so it goes on. Uh, it was a shameful appointment, he says. Uh, mm. Of course, the Raphaelites, I think Raphaelites, whatever, uh, <laughs> were making plenty of noise as they swept home to victories over Southampton, Burnley and Norwich. And for a while, were almost replicating the start Ancelotti had delivered the previous season. But inevitably, the wheels came off. Inevitably? It, inevitably. <laughs> it's now two points from 21. Benitez is starting to do what he does best, try to blame everybody else. It's not his fault he can't sign players. It's FFP. He blamed the restrictions for slipping Andros Townsend into Goodison. This guy couldn't get into an average Crystal Palace team. There's a reason Damari Gray was in exile. And then there's Salomon Rondon. I wonder why he follows Benitez everywhere. It's certainly nothing to do with talent. So various <laughs> below-the-belt jabs at Benitez yep. uh, in that blog post. Uh, what do you make of, of Richard Keyes and uh, the anti-Rafa school of thought for Everton's dip in form. Yeah, I mean I agree with the the first part of what he said. I, I'm I'm still baffled to the to this day by by the appointment. For Everton to hire a, a Liverpool Champions League winning manager was just really odd and I never saw it working. Um I think the the fans, yeah, they they were obviously going to get behind him because, like he said, you know, you you want to get behind your team, you want to see your team winning. But as soon as things sort of started to go sour, I could uh, I could never have seen it really uh, really working. And it does seem at the moment that it is starting to take that uh, that downwards downwards turn, if you like. Mm. And uh, I mean, we'll, we'll have to see tomorrow morning because. Goodison has, has typically been quite a difficult place for Liverpool to go. They always, you know, the the atmosphere and the, the physical rivalry and, and everything like that. But I think probably more so than in uh, in previous years, the, the real contrast in form between uh, Everton and Liverpool is, uh, is going to be an interesting one. But was this the fixture last year that was the Van Dyke injury and the Pickford... Two footer, yep, and the Richarlison uh, red card that mm-hmm. put Thiago out for three months, and the 
absolutely disgusting offside call that robbed uh, Jordan Henderson of the last-minute winner that we're not going to talk anymore about <laughs> because I might uh, say something that I regret. Uh, but, yeah, Everton are just in this perpetual thing for me where... It's like a spiral of mediocrity. But, yeah, they start a season well or they sign a few players... And everyone thinks, oh, yeah, this is the year they're going to break into the top six or they're top four contenders this year. And it just never works out like that. Like I said on Rafa, I still can't believe he he was hired. I'll be very, very surprised if he lasts until the turn of the year. I mean, he's already hounded if, James Rodriguez out of the club. Yeah, which to me was probably a good decision anyway. I, I, reckon? I, I, I don't think he did much last year well, after the first few weeks. He got injured. Yeah. I thought uh, he was phenomenal until his injury and then he never really regained the form. And, I mean, something weird happened under Ancelotti last season when it was clear that he was leaving uh, or it just seemed the wheels came off. They seemed to lose their heads. The morale dropped and they never really recaptured the magic. Which is funny because he was always an Ancelotti player. Like, he brought Mm. him to Real Madrid. He then loaned mm. him with Bayern Munich. It there clearly was went sour to, some to bring him to Napoli, and then he brought him to Everton. Yeah, there was. Well, I mean, Benitez happened. has now gotten rid of him twice, so <laughs> sidelined yeah, him twice. Yeah. Well, once at Real Madrid in his short tenure there. Um, God, I forgot he went to Real Madrid. <laughs> well, that was the same coaching spell where he was laughed out of the club after he tried to tell Luka Modric not to use the outside of his foot to pass the ball anymore. So, you know. <laughs> that sounds like the most Rafa thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> He's a bit of a miser. He's a bit boring. <laughs> but it. you look at their injury list. Yeah. Yeri Mina, Tom Davies, Andre Gomez, and crucially, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, yeah. uh, whose absence from the pitch uh, drew the ire of former TalkSport <laughs> host Mike Parry, yeah. uh, who I think these days is best known for his cinnamon challenge video that went wrong. <laughs> I think that's his, his most famous contribution to the online discourse. I haven't discourse. seen that one. I'll have to oh, look it just, up after. He approaches it with such uh, indignation yeah. and confidence. That it's just, well, what is this? I mean, it's, yeah. it's, and then the zero to 100 um, <laughs> <laughs> I do love a, I do is, love a cinnamon challenge. Is, it's always it's good quite fun. something to see. But anyway, uh, I digress. Um, this is what he tweeted during uh, halftime of the Everton Brentford match. Have I accidentally been eating magic mushrooms, or is this really <laughs> at Everton centre forward at Calvert Lewin fourteen advertising a shaver on TV at halftime of the live coverage of our game as Everton are losing one nil? He's too injured to play, but fit enough to be in an advert. <laughs> I despair. <laughs> that is awful. Oh no! <laughs> Does, I mean, he's a he's a radio guy. He's not a TV guy. Mike Parry. Maybe he thinks it's like a 1950s soap opera. They turn the cameras on, the slow motion, cutting back and forward. We'll do it live. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. That's made my night. That is that is so funny. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> so for the record, you think it is okay for DCL to appear in shaving adverts Absolute, while he's out? Absolutely, injured. man's got to stay groomed. He might <laughs> he might not be on the pitch, but he's 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 got to stay looking nice. And I think, Mike, I don't want to spoil the kind of TV magic for you, uh, but I I know there's a sprinkling magic dust over everything with a camera. Um, but I I think they might have had that one in the can <laughs> a few weeks before. DCL's injury before oh, the is, game took that place. That is hilarious, goodness me! But uh, it's he's clearly been sorely missed because he hasn't. I I haven't realised really until recently um, that he's he's been out for so long. He hasn't played since August. 
Played the first three games, scored Sorry, in I all of them. I just noticed Mike Parry's Twitter bio. Apparently, he's auctioning his Cinnamon Challenge video for charity. <laughs> I don't know. Is that an NFT? I, I, I don't know how you do that. But anyway, um, good on him, I guess. <laughs> I look I look forward to it. I'm, uh, maybe I'll, uh, I'll chip in considering I, considering I haven't seen it. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll find a way to get involved. Um, but yeah, it was it was three and three for Carver Lewin in the first uh, first three games, uh, and they were two wins and a draw uh, in that period. Everton and I agree and that Salomon Rondon is a bad signing. Yeah, yeah, he's just not good enough to be a Premier League player. Yeah, and but he's I, a backup striker. Like. I, th- I thought the same about um, Demarai Gray as well. I think we we were even talking about him um, potential on, on bargain our, buy on our first episode that. Um, you know, he's, he scored a, f- a few goals early. That Manchester United one all draw at Old Trafford where Everton really, looking back on that, should have won the game. And since then, they haven't won. So potential, maybe that's a sliding doors moment where a win at Old Trafford, what that might have done for um, for their morale. But, you know, Demarai Gray looked fantastic in that game. And I was thinking, oh, wow, maybe I was uh, I was very wrong about this this signing. But... Ever since then, he's slumped. Like um, old mate Richard said as well, you know, Andros Townsend, like he's a serviceable Premier League player, but he has a level and his level is not pushing Everton towards Europe. Like, you know, he's he's got a great left foot. He can score some some worldly goals uh, and, and, and create a couple of things, but the signings were never going to be, never going to be signings that, we're taking Everton to that next step. And particularly when you look at the previous years, the the transfer windows that they have had when they've spent loads of money and, and bought big-name European guys like James Rodriguez uh, like they did last year. It it seemed like, I don't, obviously, Rafa coming in as well, seemed like just a, a total pivot on their mm-hmm. approach from one extreme to the other. And well, it's I think this is a good time to terrible. refer to the, to the work of Richard Keyes in this, <laughs> in this subject, this very subject. He says, it's not FFP. Alisher Usmanov has given up. He doesn't want to spend any more money. I wrote recently about a friend of mine in this part of the world that was offered Everton for 500 million pounds. <laughs> that was too much, but the sting in the tail was having to guarantee another 500 million for the stadium. A billion pounds, oh, no chance. But trust me, Everton is available for purchase. So Benitez can have that one. There isn't any money, but what I'm not uh, what I'm not having is his latest excuse to try and disguise the capitulation at Brentford. He reckons the fans should be more understanding of the intensity and the mentality of the players, adding there was a disconnect between fans and players last season, which he wasn't responsible for. He claims he's now working at repairing the relationship. No, there wasn't a disconnect. Most of last season passed without fans at the ground, any ground. So how can he talk of a disconnect? How does he judge that? If Everton lose the derby this week, Mashiri should sack Benitez the very same evening and apologise to Evertonians for his error. And it was his error. Bill Kenwright didn't want Benitez, nor did anyone else at Goodison. And this is the kicker. Give it to Big Dunk. <laughs> and give Benitez what he really wants, an early conclusion to Agent Rafa's master plan. Oh, dearie, dearie. So me. apparently Rafa just wants the payout. He's just, just uh, yep. phoning it in until he gets sent packing and... Uh, Give it big dunk to the end of the season. <laughs> I mean, may- maybe we will find out. You know, 15, 20 years, maybe Rafa will write a book and there'll be a whole chapter on how Jurgen Klopp and 
uh, FSG gave him a call and said, Rafa, we've we got a job for you. Well, I'm, I'm volunteering to ghostwrite if, uh, <laughs> if he's looking to do some work in that department and I have a perfect tile for it. What is it? Facts. <laughs> yes. I love it. Um, Merseyside Derby tomorrow morning. I think, I think it'll, I mean, it, it could and probably should be the end of, of Rafa at Everton if Liverpool do win. The, like I said, the, the form coming into this game is they're two polar opposites, Liverpool and Everton. Everton are in terrible form, haven't won a game in seven. Uh, Liverpool have scored eight in their last two games, uh, conceding none. Uh, Thiago is all of a sudden scoring goals, two and two for him, one in the Champions League, one in the in the Premier League and scoring lovely goals as well, might I add. It's uh, Oh, that goal he scored against Porto oh, was unbelievable. You could, you could just watch did, it over it and bounce? over and over. No, no, it didn't. I don't think. Good man. Yeah. It skimmed. It did not bounce. It yeah. was uh, merely the Magnus effect in action. Oh, the mastery of, of loves, physics. Loves the backspin. Year 11 PE biomechanics <laughs> Magnus effect. Got a, I got a nice um, – actually, no, my, my brother did a, 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 a project when he was in school about Magnus effect, about Rafa Nadal's forehand, the, um, the Magnus effect on the ball when he mm. hits the top spin. And so I'll have, to, I'll have to dig that up and maybe drop it on the – on the Twitter feed for, for anyone that, that <laughs> thinks the ball bounced, uh, they can have a look at it. Um, we'll move away from Merseyside uh, on on that note. Uh, that one is seven, 7.15 is uh, a weird time. I don't know why these games are starting at 7.15 rather than 7, but pretty inviting kickoff time, time, really, for I mean, us uh, on uh, the East Coast. Absolutely. And get up, watch the game, not too, uh, not too bleary-eyed, and then you roll straight into work after that. Can't uh, cannot complain. Um, before that, there's four games that kick off at 6.30. Uh, Southampton, Leicester, hope, hopefully for Southampton, not another 9-0 uh, at St. Mary's. Uh, Wolves and Burnley. Wolves had a, a disappointing defeat. Didn't they on draw? On the weekend. Yes, they drew with Norwich. That's um, right. Which after... It gets confusing with the match days at this time because yeah. we're just talking about Norwich drawing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Newcastle. <laughs> uh, after a, a, a run of results for Wolves, um, Beating West Ham in the in the last game, I think a, a draw with Norwich is a, is probably not what they're after. But uh, they'll come up against the Burnley side, reinvigorated after a weekend off. Um, maybe maybe it will snow at the Molyneux and and they'll get their uh, their winter fun after all. Uh, and hopefully we do see uh, Sean Dyche's pasty biceps uh, on the sidelines <laughs> in the cold. Uh, Watford Chelsea uh, former Chelsea manager Claudio Ranieri. Uh, of course, Watford. Uh, oh man, I forgot about the the Ranieri days. That was pre Abramovich, was it? Yeah, not? yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember. Um, man. Oh, what was that? Own goals and gaffes. It was this old, uh, like, comedic sort of football mm-hmm. bloopers DVD with some sort of uh, Cockney voiceover. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and like it, little sound effects and yeah, so forth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And there was sort there was of, a part of it where um, was it Ron Atkinson? I can't remember who he was coaching at the time. Maybe Villa. But it was Ron Atkinson, Claudio Ranieri, and uh, Sir Alex Ferguson. And the uh, they were sort of analysing the way they were each chewing their gum or, you know, <laughs> and they're probably chewing tobacco or whatever it was that they were chewing. And every time it flicked to the other manager, it sort of got closer and closer to their mouth. Um, unfortunately, Ron Atkinson and, and Sir Alex Ferguson are no longer. And you don't really see managers gnawing on some gum or, or on anything on the touchline anymore. So we'll uh, we'll have a, to pay attention. It was attention. a real Sam Allardyce staple. Yes, I know. it was. It was too. 
we'll have to pay attention to uh, to Mr. Ranieri's uh, chewing habits <laughs> <laughs> this or tomorrow uh, morning. Not this uh, I think that's that's got to be a Chelsea win that game. I mean, it, it really should be. I think Watford were had that little bit of a run. Um, they took the lead against Leicester. Leicester flattered to deceive this season, I think. Yeah. They've been really, really inconsistent. I mm. wouldn't read too much into into Watford's ability to score against them. Yeah, for sure. They they didn't take the lead. In fact, they uh, they equalised with a Josh King penalty. But talking of the snow, boy, oh boy, that game was <laughs> was uh, very snowy um, to the point where, I don't know about the winter ball this year. The whole point of it is it for, it to to be be, for it to be visible. But the, all this like blue pattern and stuff, it's, you could hardly you're see trying, it. On the you're TV. trying to get too fancy. Yeah, just put a giant tennis ball in there. You might <laughs> be able to see it better. Yeah, or the the good old whenever you played a a game in the snow on FIFA and it was just bright, glowing neon orange. Um, would uh, I mean that that that's the point of it. You want to be able to see the thing. Um, West Ham Brighton is. That's an interesting game. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it'll be much of a spectacle considering Brighton can't score to save their lives at the moment. Yeah. Classic, classic Brighton as we as we touched on last I, week. But that, that could be a nil-all draw in the making or a one-all maybe. Yeah, West Ham since beating Liverpool, uh, two defeats, one against Wolves, one against Man City, which you can't necessarily blame them for. And they did push them all the way. It was, um, excuse me, it was a, a late Fernandinho goal that sort of... Uh, Seemed to confirm the result, but then an absolute stunner from Manuel Lanzini. One of those players that these days certainly only scores belters. Of course, that, that one against Spurs. Uh, I guess it. this one doesn't get as much publicity because even though it was in the 94th minute, it was of little consequence yeah, to, yeah, to the fixture. But uh, Brighton, I, they're very well organized, out defensively well coached, can't score a goal. Uh, I think this is... Uh, a draw under 2.5 on the, uh, the accumulator for me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we were, last week we were talking about Brighton. We were talking about Neil Mopé. Did you catch his, uh, his miss against Leeds on the weekend? Oh, my God. It he's, was, he's volatile. Yeah, it was within the first 10 minutes. Some, some lovely interplay down the right-hand side. Cut back. All he had to do was just pass it into the left side of the goal, and he uh, ballooned it over the crossbar, and that was that. He just blazed away. We were talking about uh, this with with Lockie Wales on the show beforehand about how difficult it is to have that composure and take that extra second. And I think uh, he's a a rash character. He makes impulsive decisions uh, sometimes when he's talking to referees or Mm. other players and uh, sometimes... He makes impulsive decisions in front of goal and doesn't think th- think it through. Yeah, so, although uh, it doesn't I, surprise me. I did love his uh, his post game interview early on in the season. Uh, I think it was he scored. Did he score a ninetieth minute winner at Crystal Palace? I think uh, for Sky Sports when they had Thierry Henry back as a guest, and obviously the French uh, connection with Henry it was was quite wholesome. But uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully Thierry's giving him some tips about how to actually stick the thing in the back of the net. What you do is you open up your body and you roll it into the far right. Yeah, corner. exactly. Simple, or, or you can flick it up over the defender <laughs> and, uh, and and score worldies. Um, we're over time again, as as we always are. So we'll rattle through these. Uh, Aston Villa, Man City. Talking about Agent Rafa, could be Agent Stevie G uh, picking up his his third win in a row for Aston Villa against Man City. Oh, I think it's an it's, emergency. That City's going to win again. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's a bit like uh, for all those any F one fans. Uh, I don't know if Lucky Flanagan out there is listening, but a bit like Lewis Hamilton complaining about his tires, and then all of a sudden he decides to put in a fastest lap out of nowhere. Uh, should be a Man City win, I would have thought. Tottenham Brentford. 
a, a, round, a midweek round of quite interesting fixtures. But Tottenham, Tottenham have Brentford is coming interesting. To this fresh after yeah, no game. Very true. I I still just am one hundred percent totally anti Tottenham. I think they're terrible, uh, and I do like Brentford. But <laughs> what do you think of Tottenham? <laughs> uh, Brentford uh, talking about XG been... tables earlier in the show. They're actually underperforming their XG. I saw. So you know, as good as they've been this season, they could be doing better. Yeah, they are too. They're they're fifth in we, XG in expected nineteen point eight eight, and they're close to and that. They scored seventeen as well, which is un- unbelievable. They are. They're fourth. Yeah, there you go. So Brentford for the Champions League. You heard it here first. Yeah, yeah it's, it's the the Brighton of last season. The yeah. the um. I think Tony has to start putting away a few more goals and matching yeah, his championship. He numbers. only scored the, the the winner in the one 0 win against Everton was his first home goal of the mm. season and. Yeah, certainly. I was, literally the exact same conversation as Brighton. They they generate they, a lot they, of chances. They need, the, the, they need a goal scorer, and they need yeah. Tony to be chipping in more regularly. I, I think they they've got every chance of of getting all three points in that one. Hundred percent. I think um, you know, even Tottenham losing in Europe during the week as well to mm-hmm. God knows what team it was. Um, with all due respect to that team or that and that country that that team is from, of course. Um, and you know, <laughs> call due respect to <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And uh, Conte said afterwards that after a couple of weeks, you know, I've, I've started to realise the issues at this club, which is uh, is quite damning for them. But uh, that'll be one to keep an eye on. And then United Arsenal, as we touched on, um, yeah, in, intriguing, really intriguing. Uh, tough to predict that that game in particular because I think we're seeing. Um, we've talked obviously a fair bit about United. We're seeing Carrick still set the team up mm-hmm. in a fairly similar way to what Solskjaer was. Whether or not Ranić has um, some influence uh, on this remains to be seen, uh, and then Arsenal uh, that that big game conversation that we're having, I'd really like to see Arteta go for this. They should be backing themselves to to beat United. Like I said earlier, they're five points clear and three three places on the table clear of Manchester United. They really should be. If they score the first goal, the I think they'll win. If they don't, then I, I don't see them coming back. They they don't seem to have much resilience in those games mm. where they go behind. They, they're good at defending leads, which is not something that Arsenal have always been known for. So that's progress. But, yeah. You know, if they can see the first goal, it could all go sour for them. I, I think Arsenal are a good shout, though. Yeah, I think so, too. Uh, and uh, just quickly for the weekend, we'll um, maybe just make mention of a, a few of the key fixtures. West Ham, Chelsea will be a good one. Uh, United will host Crystal Palace. Uh, I'm looking forward Aston, to that game. Crystal Palace have been excellent this season. Yeah, they're they're, they're very very attractive to watch. Uh, an unfortunate late loss uh, this morning to Leeds. Uh, Aston Villa Leicester will be a good one as well. And Southampton Brighton, the battle of the uh, the South Coast derby um, mm. is is always uh, a fun watch. But we'll leave it there on the EPL show. Thank you very much for tuning in. Enjoy all of the the wintry. Wintery fun. I'm. I, I can't find another term for wintery fun, but it's. Uh, I love it. I, I, I just it's love the, it. The uh, quintessential image of uh, of Barclays, just yes, covered in snow, yeah, and light um, smattering of snow, and hopefully with a ball that you can see. Hopefully, get an orange crossed. one out there. Do it. Get it done. Uh, thank you very much. Enjoy this week's action. Enjoy the weekend's action, uh, and we'll catch you again next week for some more EPL show fun. On FNR, I've been Nick Hughes. He's been Josh Parrish. Goodbye for now.